This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Matt from the Future Europe podcast. Have you ever wondered what the future will be like? How will you drive in the future? How will you eat, learn, keep yourself warm? Will the future be more social? How are they going to look after you when you're old? And maybe, who are they? The answers are all on Future Europe. Subscribe to Future Europe and get the future now. Future Europe. Framtidens Europa. Europa Futura. Europa Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti. We thank you for joining us on this fine Thursday morning. Now with us in the studio, I'm especially excited because Alan Smith is here. And down the line, it's even better. The man who has been to both Champions League semi-finals this week. And if there's anybody who could be at both Arsenal in Valencia and Chelsea in West London. It probably would be. It's Henry Winter. Uh, later on, we'll be looking ahead to the final day of the Premier League season. And by the way, I know we've been bowled over by the excitement of the last 48 hours, but that's pretty darn exciting uh, too, Natalie. With mm-hmm. uh, It's one of those weeks where, like, uh, I don't know if they'll be flying the Premier League trophy by helicopter back and forth because, you know, they don't know if they'll be handing it out in Brighton or, or at Anfield. They might be just hovering in the Midlands for a long, long time. Who knows? But let's start with one of the most amazing midweeks we've ever seen in football. The two Champions League semi-finals delivered nine goals, two of the most incredible comebacks in the history of the competition, and an all-English final as a result. Let's start then in Amsterdam with a game that moved Maurizio Pochettino to tears. Tottenham were 2-0 down and 3-0 down on aggregate at half-time, but a Lucas Moura hat-trick, the last goal coming deep into stoppage time, took Spurs to their first Champions League final on away goals. Henry, have you ever known back-to-back nights of footballing drama that we've witnessed? I mean, I think involving English clubs in Europe... So I think it's uh, it's got to be right up there. I mean, it was just fantastic. I mean, what what it sort of boils down to is you can talk about tactics, you can talk about philosophies, and I keep on reading all over the place about sort of money ball and and all this. But what those two nights were down to was just desire on the on the parts of coaches. I know they made tactical changes, both them, um, Klopp and Pochettino, particularly Pochettino last night with Lorente. 
but but it was just hunger there, and it was quite interesting just seeing that the, the footage of Lucas Moura being shown the Brazilian commentary to his goal last night that, that took uh, Tottenham to, to to the final, and he was just incredibly emotional. He had tears in his eyes, and that was the overriding emotion. It was all about emotion, and that's what drove them through, along with a little bit of naivety from from some of these brilliant young Ajax players. Henry, you make a I think you make a great point uh, about desire. To me, the situations were a little bit different in the sense that with Liverpool, you know, you had to, to some degree, get them to believe that what was statistically extremely improbable could actually happen. With Spurs, it is about desire, but ultimately they knew that, you know, if they won 1-0, they'd take it into extra time and, and whatever. In some ways, it was an easier, an easier sell, at least at the start of the game. And what struck me was in that first half, even though, Spurs came out of it 2-0 down, and then at that point they might have felt that they would have had a real mountain to climb, and they did. Maybe also in the first half they they looked at it and said, you know what, we're two goals down, but we really don't deserve to be because we actually played pretty darn well in in this first 45 minutes. Tottenham didn't play well in the first half last night. I thought Tottenham were really poor. No, no. I mean, it was. I thought I was really disappointed with them. I mean, you know, Trippier uh, made mistakes, and you know. Trippier was poor, as he has been for a lot this season in the first half. But he actually looked like the World Cup and the, you know, the, the Real Madrid destroying attacking right back in the second half. Again, you know, your point about desire. Harry Kane comes in the dressing room and has a go at them. Pochettino makes some rallying words. Okay, tactical tweaks, Lorente, but going for it and just driving through. And you know, so um, absolutely. Look, I mean, there's rightly so much analysis of the game now and we have so many sort of bright people coming out of the university and studying things and working out XGs and, and, and all that it is just simply about hunger and that is exactly what's been shown in the last two nights you could take it back to the Premier League on Monday night with uh, with Vincent Company I mean that is you know we, we can overcomplicate this sport too much Gav sometimes are you saying, it is about heart are you saying that Spurs were hungrier than, than Ajax I think in the second half, absolutely. I think that showed. I think uh, you had uh, some players there with Ajax connections who might be a little bit embarrassed by what had happened in the in the in the first half. I think you had maybe some people in their careers, things that had happened to them, rejections that had happened to them. Lucas Moore with PSG. I think maybe they looked to themselves, looked at uh, you know the friends and family they had in the, the crowd. They were reminded of what the shirt means, and absolutely tactics played a part. But those. Two wins for Liverpool and um, and Tottenham Hotspur were rooted in desire. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it's an interesting point. I wonder, you know, obviously there were so many chances. I think Spurs hit the woodwork twice, if I'm not mistaken, including early on with 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 Son. Ajax did as well. There was the the the, 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 the Vertonghen header as well. I wonder, Alan, would we would there be a different narrative? Because it, it seems to me like there were so many chances at the end. Everybody was was ready to say. Or, or what I think would have been ready to say, look, there, there it goes, Spursy again. You know, imagine, imagine if Ajax had buried that chance at the end, and then you, you, you dial it back to the, to the Vertonghen header on, on the line. I don't know. This is what makes me uncomfortable about saying that when they win, it's because they wanted it more. Because then, by implication, the other times that we see, we've seen Spurs falter, that they wanted it less those times. I, I, I don't. I mean, well, what's your take on Spursy as a concept is pretty much finished and. Probably has been finished yeah. sort of before that. Even you'd think maybe even back to the Dortmund game. Certainly, this, the two legs against 
City, that is an idea, you know, unless you're an Arsenal fan, I think nobody is going to, you know, is going to mention <laughs> that anymore. It's, you know, it, it's something that so Arsenal We'll never fans... hear anybody talk about St. Totteringham's Day <laughs> no, ever I, again. I mean, unless you're an Arsenal fan, like trolling people, you know, any right-minded <laughs> right. person who's interested in football has to look at this and think, you know, the Spurs of the past, you know, it, it's a thing of the past. Pochettino has completely changed it. But looking at Ajax, I did feel that, you know, for the first time, the sort of lack of experience told. Um, you could see that, you know, obviously Spurs showed how much they wanted it, etc. But I think Ajax kind of, once the first goal went in, seemed shell-shocked. Yeah, they still created chances and, you know, Zayek went close two different occasions at the post once and there was that other one which went narrowly wide and, you know, a yard left or right and that would have been a, a very, very different story. But I did feel that towards the latter stages, Ajax kind of, stopped playing their way and they'd made so much throughout this campaign against Juventus against Real Madrid that you know this is how we play we stick to it we're going well, to enter attack so, so, sorry for, for just, just to add to that because I agree that they, they stopped playing the way we think they play yeah. but that was also they're in the lead and then he started making what you might call defensive substitutions yeah. he takes off Dolberg who's you know big tall centre forward brings on Sinkraven, uh, a midfielder. Then he took off Lasse Schoene, a midfielder for Veltman, who's a defender. So you are kind of seeing that. Mm. So you could say he was trying to he was trying to make them more defensive, perhaps abandoning the game plan. But it's weird because that's kind of the... You would think that's kind of the more mature thing to do, rather than just keep attacking. Yeah, but even before, I don't know, um, they had an interview with Tagli Fico, uh, which was on the Times website on Tuesday and he'd made the point in the interview that IX would stick to the game plan and they would attack because they know that's their most effective approach and because of those substitutions and you know who you know we can't really say sitting here if mentality how much of a role from IX's point of view mentality played but you could sense even just watching on TV that they had sort of departed from their own style and I think I do feel that and that was a mistake like, yeah I do feel so I mean like I, <laughs> Henry, I, I, I agree with what, with what Alan's saying, but I also wonder, it is a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation in the sense that yeah. if I'm playing Spurs and all of a sudden he takes off, was it, was it Llorente came on for Wanyama, right? Yep. He, he yeah. takes off a defensive yeah. midfielder, he brings on a striker, he takes off a fullback, he, he sends on Lamela. I'm kind of an idiot if I then don't counter that yeah. by bringing in more defensive players who can help out because... Spurs are Spurs just have so many attacking players at that point and are gambling, right? I mean, do, do, do you do you put this on on Ten Hag and or or Ajax changing the way they played, or is it more about Spurs? Well, a, a little bit. I mean, there was a sort of a naivety to uh, Ajax, but I, I completely agree with Alan. This whole sort of Spursy thing that disappeared when when Pochettino came in. I think he reminded them of their. Oh, look, he organised them. We could see that the tactical element, but you just only have to to, to, to watch him, and also with Jurgen Klopp as well. They're both very tactile individuals. I mean, I've not interviewed Potts one on one, but if you interview Klopp one on one, it's quite an engaged experience. I'm sure you've you've, you've talked to him. There's a sort of visceral element to, to, to these two men. They're, they're not as cold and calculating as the sort of, you know, the latter stages of Mourinho's career. He was a far more sort of, again, a sort of tactile creature early on and brilliant at, at man management earlier in his career, but certainly in his first incarnation at, at, at Chelsea. And again, that just comes back. You, you listen to the players, you talk to the players, and you can see how they are around Klopp. So coming back to our sort of 
was it science or was it the heart? Those two nights were purely down to two groups of individuals just looking within and uh, and, and 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 fighting for it. But Henry, I, it's funny. I know you you, you put Klopp and Pochettino together, and I, and I think it, it really applies. But I spoke to somebody at Liverpool who said ultimately, what you want for a manager is a guy who comes up with a good footballing idea who knows how to relate that idea and get it across to the players and get the players to buy into it and who represents you well to the outside world because he is the face of your club and you want it to be on brand and on message. And I think Klopp ticks those three boxes probably better than any manager at any club in the world. I mean, I think you'd have to throw... Uh, Pep Guardiola in there in terms of how he represents the club and the emotional attachment that supporters and particularly the players have for him. I, I would agree with you there. The only thing I would say is Pep Guardiola is so str- strongly identified globally with a different identity relative to Manchester City. You know, because, because with, when he wears his yellow ribbon and obviously he has everything that went before uh, at Barcelona, obviously... Klopp was at Dortmund before, but it, I don't know. It just strikes me that, that Klopp feels more connected. But don't you think they're both very good fits for, for, for their clubs? Because a, a club tremendous. like Liverpool, a, a club like Liverpool needs a demonstrative, expressive community champion in a way, which Klopp clearly is very demonstrative. Well, talking of Jürgen Klopp, shall we discuss? I, sorry, I have one oh, more. Sorry, it's very quick. It's a very on, quick Gab. poll question, but and I, I think this is something that we're going to have to face. I mean, we all saw Harry Kane running onto the pitch at the end. I'm assuming if he's running like that, he's going to be fit for the final. Uh, now, here's the question. I don't think there's any way that Harry Kane, Hongman Son, and Lucas Mora all start the final. That is one hell of a selection headache, Henry, and, and Alan and Natalie, feel free to, to, to weigh in as well, because... If Kane is fit, you assume he starts. Obviously, Son not only gives you something different, but he's been so important this season. And then you have the guy who scored the hat trick to get you there. What do you think he's going to do, Henry? Well, are you saying it's between dropping Christian Eriksen and Deli Alley? Oh, you now, think he dropped one of those two rather than drop one of those no, three? No, but, 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 that, but this, is, this is the debate. This is the road that you were sort of heading us down. Well, I know. I I'm, assu- I'm assuming those two guys start, right? You have to start Eriksen and Alley and... If you get Winks back, great, maybe. You know, the strange thing is Al- Ali, in keeping with probably 21 of the 23 England World Cup players, has not actually had a great season. Fantastic pass last night, and he de- certainly improved in, in the second half. Ericsson continually being linked with you know major clubs is, is a fantastic talent. I, I agree with you. I think Son plays. I mean, it would be a huge call if Lucas Moura didn't start. But, I mean, he's normal front four. Is Kane supported by Son, Ericsson, and Ali? Unless he is super brave, drops Ericsson slightly deeper or Ali slightly deeper, and leaves out a, a holding midfielder, which I'm not sure he will do, no. given what that midfield battle is going to be like in Madrid. Certainly would be a big call there to drop Lucas Moore, as you say, to have gotten to the final. But the way Tottenham are, they, they, all, they all seem so understanding. They're such a, uni- a unified team mm. that any decision that's made, they'll all take it on board. Right, let's move on to the small matter of Liverpool overcoming a 3-0 deficit, beating Barcelona 4-0 to reach their ninth European Cup final. 
something we thought couldn't be topped, of course. Now, Henry, you've been to the biggest games, the biggest stadiums. How does Tuesday night at Anfield rank in terms of your experiences in football? I still think Istanbul was better because of the prize that was there on the day. And it was extraordinary. I mean, but people have been slightly patronising towards that Milan team and saying, oh, you know, what Liverpool did on Tuesday night was even more impressive because of quality, because Messi was on the pitch. But, you know, you look at some of those Barcelona players, and that is a team that needs a little bit more pace and a little bit more youth. I think it was their oldest team ever in Europe. It was their average age of 29 years and 122 days. You looked at, you then compare it to that Milan team that Gerard and Smits and all those players overcame. That was a good team. So I, I would still put that one up at the top. But in terms of a great European night, this, I mean, I wasn't around at San Etienne, but I've seen most of the big ones since, and in uh, 77. And it was, it, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it was just, well, it was a privilege to be there. And fair play to the Barcelona fans at the end. Everyone said it was brilliant they stayed on. Well, actually, one of the reasons why they stayed on is they couldn't get out because they held back for half an hour, <laughs> 20 minutes after the match. But it was still, it was fantastic. You know, they saw Trent Alexander going past, they saluted him, they saluted the Barcelona um, sorry, the Liverpool players and supporters. So uh, they came out of it with a lot of credit, Suarez less so. I mean, it wasn't impossible. I would have considered a very the longest of long shots. But, you know, there is always a chance. And I think as well, because the first leg had been so even and you sort of think about Liverpool and how defensively they've been quite good for, you know, the majority of games throughout this campaign where Barcelona's sort of confidence that they would go to Anfield and score seemed ridiculous because, you know, sure, they've scored three times in the home leg. Should have been four. We should also mention that Dembele chance that he had um, Mm. in the final couple of seconds of the Nou Camp where, you know, Messi was visibly really annoyed and people were like, oh, why is he so annoyed? It's it's 3-0, it'll be fine. If, you know, Dembele finished that chance, you probably would have then said it was impossible for Liverpool to come back. You know, there, there is always a chance and I think as well, People make so much of this, you know, the cliche of turning up to Anfield and the atmosphere, etc. And sometimes it is, I think, a little bit overblown. But you could really see on Tuesday night that, you know, you, you could expect it beforehand, even at 3-0, that Liverpool would, you know, the atmosphere would be really good. Liverpool would attack Barcelona, really get, get into them from the very start. And you sort of, I would have expected Barcelona to kind of, you know, come in, try and kill the game slightly take the pace out of it and sort of after those opening 10-15 minutes you know settle it down take this thing out of Liverpool but it just didn't happen they just didn't really I think complacency was obviously an issue they just didn't perform there were so many of those players who played so far below their ability you look at Jordi Alba you look at Ter Stegen who you know people speak of him being the best goalkeeper in the world and it's incredibly poor you know you kind of look and you think that's not really the level you would expect from them. I think Alba seemed to have a bit of a nightmare as well. And there were just so many of them who did not perform to their level, Um, which isn't to, you know, detract from Liverpool at all because, you know, it was an amazing performance. But going back to, say, United PSG, when people were raving about United's comeback there, you can't help but think it's, you know, the losing side's complacency and sort of you know failure to keep their heads is the, the, the defining factor there. well and the last minute VAR penalty for handball yeah but, but you know the, wide, the wider <laughs> issue there yeah. was PSG's lack of anyway we're not going to go back to right. March <laughs>
This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you. Here is one for you on this podcast. But you have to read it, and and Natalie's now going to read it in Bill Edgar's voice. (laughs) I'm not sure that I can. Wolves will finish 11 places higher than the next best of the newly promoted clubs this season in the Premier League. We already know Wolves will be 7th, Cardiff 18th, and Fulham 19th. That 11-place gap is the largest since 1994-95, when which team finished 16 places higher than the next best newly promoted team oh this is going back a while yes and i'd like alan to answer this one because (laughs) he's thinking i'm trying to think of trying to think of the teams that were promoted the previous season it's hard i think that leicester go up and then go back down Mm, forest i think forest is quite a good shout i would say yeah we should have said no googling or any other internet searches for this one, because people need to think about it. What right? a sad you would be if you're like, oh, I'm just going to look up the answer on well, Google because I do. can't be arsed to wait but around. But people do. What you need to do is have a think and then stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. I'm Piers Linney. Join me for Rethinking Business, a new podcast series brought to you by NatWest. Let's face it, the path to business success is rarely straightforward. That's why in this series, we're hearing from businesses who are thinking differently. This week, I'm joined by Alex Levin, founder of Networld Sports. I always thought the only products I want to sell are the products with our name on, and the only place they'll be able to get them is us. That's Rethinking Business by NatWest. Subscribe now. If Sunday can deliver anything like the drama we've seen this week, we are in for an incredible conclusion to the Premier League season. The title race will conclude on Sunday, the last day of the season, with either Manchester City or Liverpool lifting the Premier League trophy. City lead by a point. They travel to Brighton. Liverpool host Wolves. Now, Monday's victory over Leicester was Manchester City's 13th in a row. But did they look a bit like they were running out of ideas, Henry? I just think they, they've, they've worked out how to find a way. I mean, obviously, the, 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 the narrative was, oh, you know, do we want a, a centre-half um, shooting from there and the other players and, you know, Bernardo and Raheem Sterling were saying, oh, you know, get it wide, get it wide. And yet he goes and scores like that. Maybe that's the ultimate team performance, the, you know, the ultimate team when, when individuals all over are contributing and when they needed it most. I think this has been. I read somewhere a couple of weeks ago that this this has been a not a very good title race because neither team have slipped up. It's just been fantastic. I mean, yeah. just the two of them going going head to head. The quality is is just been you know and the quality from front to back. The quality of the football. I mean, we are really being you know treated. The focus obviously is going to be on the Champions League, but the Premier League has been great. And just one thing you mentioned the trophies earlier i mean the, the the fake trophy in inverted commas the replica will be at anfield the real one will be at um at brighton so that's where the premier league think is going purely on the basis of its two draws or whatever um, um that uh that bright that city city will get it i do prefer it when there was a helicopter stationed at east midlands airport <laughs> yeah. and it could yeah. between the two 
you know, with, uh, with, with, with Richard Scudamore dressed up as big horse or flying it from one <laughs> end of the country to the other. I, I'm shocked, Henry, that you didn't find last year's title race more intoxicating than this one. You know, I would have thought a 19-point lead would be and a title wrapped up in, in February <laughs> would be more interesting. I want to hear Alan on this, too, because this is a question that comes directly from our boss, who specifically said, I want to know what Henry thinks about this, and Alan, too, and you too, Gab, and Natalie. <laughs> um, John Stones. So it looked at this, John Stones, Laporte, right foot, left foot, that's the future. Obviously, Vincent Company's played the last few games and really well. Um, but there appeared before that when Otamendi was getting picked a, in front of him. Do you have any insight, Henry, on, you know, is it just a natural post-World Cup dip? Has he had has he had injuries? Is is there something else going on? Any theories? I mean, John Stones is, is a fantastic footballer. We've seen that. And your point about him being uh, a, a good blend with Laporte is completely right. So, yeah, it is slightly surprising he's, he's not playing. I think there's individual leadership things in terms of Guardiola needed company at this stage of the season. But company, because of his, his body, he can't play um, too many consecutive games. So I think if it, with, with John Stones, I don't think anyone who knows his character knows how focused he is and how driven he is. And I think he will see this as, you know, he's been through some difficult patches before with sort of injuries. I think he'll just see whatever's going on in his life. He will, you know, his football life, whatever. He will just see this as an opportunity that he will seize his chance because he's such a professional and he's such a good player. You know, he's such an important player for for, for England, as I'm sure we'll see in the Nations League. So uh, look, he'll come good again. But maybe Guardiola just needs the um, just needs the leadership of of company there at the moment. Alan, what's what's your take? Because obviously, we all know how important company's leadership is, but through this recent successful uh, spell of Guardiola, often he's been sort of you know like those Davis Cup captains where he's the non-playing captain and because he's had injuries or whatever. He's also, well, we all love the goal, and I think those of us who met him, you know, he's one of the real good guys. The reality is he's also had some iffy moments as well because of his injuries and his body and whatever. What, what's your take? Because you can see company in certain situations, but like I said, Otamendi was was well ahead of Stones earlier too. I think if you look at previous seasons, company has sort of shown this leadership and you know ability to kind of drag City through like big games towards the end of seasons. He scored big goals in past seasons and you know these sort of crucial late season games. Um, I also think is is this am I right in thinking this is probably the longest spell company has gone in quite quite a long time in terms of fitness um, without an injury. So, because so you're adopting the company has been good and important line rather than there's something about John. Yeah, I think company being because of his experience and his, you know, obviously this player who's been at City before the transformation and I feel like Guardiola aware of that is, is leaning leaning towards that direction I'm sure you know who knows there may have been an issue with Stones we you know we can't really can't really say and I think you know Henry's point about Stones and a lot of the England players having a dip is is quite right um, whereas company who's had the you know this horrendous run of injuries is suddenly you know fit um, seems capable of lasting 
through successive games and you know there have been a couple of, you're right there have been a couple of shaky moments if you think of the game at Old Trafford a couple of weeks back mm. initially you, you could have been you, sent off yeah and you feared for him because he just didn't have the pace to keep up with Rashford but as that game progressed and we kind of saw that you know United etc faded but since then I feel like he has been it's just weird he just has a very different skill set from, from yeah, Stones yeah. as well Henry if City win it again all they have to do is better Liverpool's result it's going to be their fourth league title in eight years with three different managers is there a broader message there not just about the money but about the way the club is run I think it's a well run club I mean it helps that they've got vast fortunes to call on but the, the, you know there's one thing having money available and the next thing is spending it properly and they've spent it on properly on, on expertise in individuals like Bagiristan and creating the, the, the structure behind the scenes. But look, you've been to the, the, the training ground, the, uh, the the campus there, I mean, CFA. I mean, it's it's fantastic what they've built there. I mean, it's one of the greatest training grounds probably of all sports in, in, in the world. So absolutely, I like the fact that they've transformed an area of East Manchester which which needed it. So yeah, look, my, look my, money's a key thing, but it's been money well spent you know they've got intelligent people working behind the scenes Brian Marley, Sixty Berry the Giristan so uh, yeah I think there is in terms of for other clubs who don't necessarily have their resources I think maybe they look at some of their buys and think actually they're not necessarily buying superstars but they're buying players who will be superstars in sort of three four years um, but they also importantly they buy good characters you can see that they've got that room there where people go into and they brainstorm what an individual's like and they get all these reports in on what the individual's like as a person as well as as a, as a player. They make all the calls to make sure they've got, you know, the, the right characters. Bernardo Silva, when he came in, obviously he was, he was well-known, highly praised, but I don't think people necessarily thought what a great individual he is. He's so popular around the club. Um, as well as what a fantastic footballer he is as well. So uh, it's a well-run club, but of course it helps when you've got that sort of money. I, I think Henry makes a really good point because I was just thinking about this, and this is all in relative terms, but when you think about who came to Manchester City as established you know, uh, superstars of the you know, Paul Pogba-type level or, or Angel Di Maria, and I'd argue that I mean, I'm forgetting something, so help me here, Henry, but you could make a case for, for Aguero, obviously, uh, but that was, what, like seven years ago, something stupid like that? Everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, you've got guys like Kyle Walker, or whatever, you know, how much of a superstar is a right back going to be from Spurs? Um, and he's English. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, 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 but I think that that's just a lot. Like, Kyle Walker, is, is he still their most expensive player or, or close to it? You're getting guys like that. You know, you never. They they haven't been in a position where they've gone out and they've bought one of the top ten players in the world, and then said, "Okay, now how do I integrate this guy into the squad?" It, it seems to me that everybody that they've added, and they've obviously spent a ton of money and brought really good players, were all people who who had to fit into the system, and they and, and who they believe could fit into the system pretty naturally. And, and many of these guys have improved since they've been there. Which I think is a bit—it's—it's it's a bit unusual from the way most clubs operate. But the superstar there is the coach. You've got some yeah. of the Pep Guardiola's fame. I know there's 
he's got a very raw personality and he's very sort of emotionally demonstrative and caught up in it. And you often worry about his health when you see him bouncing around the dugout on, on match days. But he is, he is the superstar there. And I think everything sort of fits in around him. But the, the structure that you talk about is absolutely key. Bagiristan going in there early, sorting everything out, getting the philosophy almost in place, certainly structurally, before you then have this football genius who, who comes into the dugout. It, it does annoy me, and again, not being so snappy about some of the pieces I've read, but sometimes people are a little bit patronising towards Guardiola and say, well, he's only done it with money, he's only done it with Messi. He, he didn't have Messi at um, Bayern Munich. OK, he hasn't won the Champions League, didn't win the Champions League there, and he hasn't so far at Manchester City. But he is one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen in this country. And I keep talking to the FA and say, you know, can you get him in to do a coaching course for, for, for the young coaches in this country? Because he is, again, coming back to what an amazing title race it is. He's changed the landscape. He's, you know, fullbacks are not fullbacks anymore. You know, they're, they're, they're dropping into midfield and they're, you know, inverted fullbacks, whatever. They're just, you know, they're changing the game. He's changed the way that we've looked at football in this country. He's the most important manager we've had, along with Ferguson, in the last 30 years. And I would include Wenger in that bracket. Because, because he's just he's opened their eyes. You've only got to talk to Raheem Sterling or watch Raheem Sterling, see how he has made Raheem Sterling better. He improves people. But because he's got this superstar quality, I mean, Gab, you know him far better than I do. But when you're in, even in just in a press conference with Guardiola, he absolutely radiates star qualities. So maybe they don't need the players individually to, to, to do that. On Liverpool, should we just discuss them a little bit? They are faced with the possibility of losing just one game all season, ending the season on 97 points and not winning the league. Alan, does reaching the Champions League final make it easier then to accept that they might not be lifting the trophy on Sunday? Does it sort of take the pressure off them a little? Pressure is strange because if you think of like the running and you know the history of the record since really that game at Goodison when they drew you know the pressure seemed to kind of be ramped up then because people were saying oh look they're they're bottling it etc and you know they've dealt with that and they've dealt with even you know Barcelona so I don't think pressure really is something that seems to affect them in the sort of in the sense that you would think initially whether the Champions League final will make it easier to accept I mean Initially, it's hard to say because, you know, say if City go to Brighton, win, Liverpool doesn't matter the result against Wolves. But, you know, they probably won't be as deflated immediately because they'll be aware that, you know, June 1st, we're going to Madrid, we're going to play Spurs. But I think when it settles down at the end of the season, it might be, you know, end of July, whatever, you know, they'll wake up and kind of realise that, well, we were really, really close here. And I was kind of laughing. There's a clip doing the rounds of a Liverpool fan who'd phoned, I think it was into Talk Sport, saying that we deserve a trophy even if we finish second because <laughs> yeah. we've earned so many points. And, you know, it is, it, in many ways, it would be really, really cruel if they, you know, go through the season losing one game and end up finishing second. But ultimately, you have to accept that, you know, if, if, if City go and do the job that they've been beaten by. You know, one of the best team, one of the best club sides we've probably ever seen. Um, which is, you know, it, it's harsh and the timing of it is cruel, but you know, that's that's just football, isn't it? This is the Pochettino's point for which some people ridicule about trophies. Yeah. Trophies are yeah, for yeah. egos. Yeah. If you go and you do a good job, you've done a good job with the resources you have, and that applies to Pochettino. That applies to people further down 
further down the tables that that applies to to, to to Nuno if you like that applies to you know Chris Hutton if he keeps him up that applies to Eddie Howe that mm-hmm. applies to whoever you want to mention I'm sure I'm leaving people out that applies to your friend um, was it Gene Wilder Chris Wilder right <laughs> that we've established yeah, no but this is what it is right if you if you do a good enough job that you go beyond your resources and your fans are happy and you're happy and you're moving in the right direction that's your trophy you know, the fact that you can stink it up and then you win because the other team, because you get luckier because the other team screwed up worse than you. Yeah, that's great. That's random. That's the randomness of football. Yeah. Why, the, why then did Maurizio Pochettino hint, and he might have been joking, that if Tottenham win the Champions League, he would leave if there's not a project in mind? I think what he was just trying to do was just make the point for the here and now around the 90 minutes of that game that if they manage to you know, overturn this deficit and beat beat this fantastic arts team and get to the... Uh, that is an amazing, an amazing achievement in itself. And then there was a sort of slight throwing up the hands. Well, you know, what almost what more can I achieve? I might as well go off home. But that bit was very much in an inverted commas. I don't think if he wins the, uh, you know, the, the, the Champions League that he is going to walk away. No, so, let me give you a scenario on the back of that. And this also comes from our boss. So let's all wear words carefully. Um... <laughs> What happens if they win the Champions League and then Daniel Levy goes to him and you see, oh, you see, Mauricio, we won the Champions League. We finished, we're only the second London club ever to win the Champions League. Um, we finished third in the Premier League. I didn't buy a single player in last summer. In fact, I even sold in Kudu and we tried to get rid of Jansen, but he manages to linger around. You know, we don't need money. We don't need investment. We're going to buy one or two guys, maybe, you know, you want me to chuck in some money to extend Ericsson or Alderweireld, fine. But this is evidence that we really should be hoarding the money and paying down the debt on the stadium rather than, than going and, uh, and spending more. What do you do if Levy goes and tells you that? I don't think Levy will. I know this is this perception of Levy. He's one of the most intelligent minds in, in football, particularly now that Scudamore's moved on. He has an amazing analytical mind. He understands that, that Spurs, as a fan and as a, as, as a businessman, in a way, is the perfect combination to have someone in that position of power. He will appreciate the money that, that is being generated from being in the Champions League, from winning the Champions League, if they do then go on and do it. He will realise extra money flowing in, not simply from prize money, but from commercial arrangements. I think at some point the new Tottenham will be the, the super Uber Dome or whatever they're going to call it and he'll be able to get more money for that if he can say, actually, listen, when you come in you nice taxi people, when you come into the reception you'll see a fantastic great Champions League trophy there. So I think that so much money will be generated by Tottenham winning the Champions League, if they do, that he will be absolutely foolish not to give um, Pochettino uh, our proverbial war chest, as we love to call it, whatever it is, 70, 80 million, just to sort of go out and strengthen that team with a Drac Grealish, with a Ryan Sessegnon. But but as you say, as you alluded to, also giving those incremental rises to an Ericsson to make sure he stays, to, to to a Kane, whoever is, is, is like, or Aldevara. I mean, you know, Aldevara has been their most consistent regular player in terms of minutes on the field this season they clearly need to, to keep him I'm sure the agents will be very busy and Levy will be very busy with, with them as well but Levy is not foolish 
he will understand the money generated and that, you know, the great Liverpool team, they always went out and bought another sort of superstar each year just to strengthen them. Tottenham aren't going to go and buy superstars and they want to give uh, kids from the academy a chance and Winks will come back to fitness and they've got all that. But they, he, they will definitely invest. I can understand all this, you know, the usual dance between dugouts and the boardroom over wanting more money and Pochettino, I'm sure, is very sort of skilled at that. But I think he will get he will get money. Perfect. Thank you so much, yeah, Henry. Thanks, by, Henry. By the way, I kind of feel that like Daniel Levy's worked out that he could probably play pay Harry Kane minimum wage, and he would still show up and very <laughs> happily be a part of it. That's the kind of guy he is. And great shout, by the way, calling it the Uber Dome, um, because given the transport sport links um, at the New White Hart Lane, yeah. I think they should have a big Uber car park with a bunch of Ubers waiting there. So that in, in Uber carpools and whatever, so people can get home, because I, I do find that place absurdly <laughs> difficult to get to with public transport, at least from where I live. <laughs> Alan, what strikes you most about this Premier League race? Both clubs would possibly, well, Liverpool and City would rather win the other trophy that they that they're most likely to most win. likely to win. You know, that, that's so not Liverpool to say that's not, the, that's not to say Liverpool are massive favourites against Spurs right. in the final, but Liverpool. Would because of the history and the weight to win a league title, I would say if you're asking a Liverpool fan, you'd probably have a majority who would prefer to win the Premier League than the Champions League, which you know they've won in the past 15 years. City, on the other hand, we've you know spoken for several seasons now about how the Champions League is the is the number one, and that's the one they they really really want. You know, again, not to belittle their. If they go and win the league, you know, I'm they've sure also won it three times in yeah, the past yeah. eight years. Whereas, whereas the Champions League, they've continuously fell a little bit short. So, I, I do feel it's yeah. quite, it's kind of amusing that you know there is a possibility that this time next month you'll have Liverpool celebrating sort of their second category trophy and City celebrating their second priority. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
code PROGRAM. Time now for our weekly predictions game. We try and predict the scores in five featured matches this weekend. Let's know how the... <laughs> it's squeaky bum time. Uh, Brighton and Manchester City. This one's very simple. If Manchester City win, they become Premier League champions. Natalie, I'm going to go out and predict a 3-1 Manchester City win. Yeah, I mean, I can't see anything but a City win. Brighton have been on a, a poor run of form. Obviously, they haven't won since March 9th, something like that. Eight-game winless. Yeah, but they drew with Arsenal, I know they've had a couple of draws. Yes. But come on, City right. have to win to assure themselves of retaining this title. I'm actually going to go for a 3-0 win for City. All right. Liverpool and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Again, very simple. For Liverpool to have a prayer, they need to... Well, they don't need to win this because if City lose to Brighton, a draw yeah. will suffice. Will it? No, it won't. All right, who knows? Who cares? <laughs> anyway, ain't going to happen. Liverpool and Wolves. I think, yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool will win, but it won't matter because City will have won, so City will win the title. It's not easy to take on Wolves, we know that. Um, Could the emotions of Tuesday take it out of Liverpool? Probably not. I think they'll be spurred on to try and get a win Uh, in front of the Anfield crowd. I'm going for a 3-1 Liverpool win. I'm going to dial it down. I'm going to go Liverpool 2, Wolves 1. Okay. At the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They are hosting Everton in the final game of the season. What do you think for that one, Gab? I'll tell you what I would love to see. I would love Everton to win like 6-0 while Arsenal go and win 3-0 and then they have the goal swing and then at the last, last minute there's a Mesut Ozil own goal which then turns the goal difference back into Spurs' favour just because that would be really entertaining. But it's not going to happen. If I'm Pochettino... You know what? I look at goal difference and I say, screw this. I'm playing, you know, Skip and Skippy and those guys. And I'm going to go for an Everton win 2 1. Ooh, interesting. So that'll be three defeats at home for Tottenham. I'm going for a 1 1 draw. Derby County against Leeds United. Lamps versus El Loco. Spygate 2. Spygate 2. Wouldn't it be funny if, like, it's like Lampard sent like Ashley Cole to sneak around. Because you think it's like the last thing in the world that Leeds United expect, right? Yeah. And, and Ashley, Ashley Cole's very good at being invisible. <laughs> maybe Leeds, maybe, does he still have his facial hair? Because if not, maybe so. he could, maybe he could dress like a little girl. <laughs> oh and goodness. stand outside pretending that he's waiting for Patrick Bamford's autograph and spy on them. Oh dear. Anyway, um, what's going to happen in this? This is obviously the first leg of the championship playoff semi-final derby coming into this in really good form unbeaten in the last six. But they did lose both their regular championship games to Leeds, conceding four at home back in August. Leeds are actually enduring their worst winless run this season in all competitions. They've not won in four. That's because they let opponents score. But yeah, go ahead. Well, true. I have a feeling as though they, they could turn this one around and, and take a positive result back to Ellen Road. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Leeds win. Ooh, I'm going to go 2-2 in this one, just because it's what I want to see. Oh. We got the old firm, Glasgow mm. Rangers against Celtic. Of course, it's Stephen Gerrard's Rangers taking on a Celtic side that have won the title that 
I don't think we know yet if Neil Lennon is going to stick around as mm-hmm. uh, as, as manager or <laughs> if Jose Mourinho is going to come in. Uh, that was a nice link. Um, <laughs> okay, we're, we're predicting score goals here. Now we're not yes. predicting red cards. No, just so, scores. Um, I'm going to go one nil to Rangers. Are you interesting? Mm. Of course, there's been a lot of talk ahead of this one about a guard of honour and whether Rangers will give that to Celtic. I think reports are suggesting that's not going to happen. Um, they've won their last five Ra- Rangers and conceded just once in that run, but Celtic haven't actually lost in the league at all this calendar year. Um, their last defeat, in fact, has to go back to. December 29th, which was actually at Ibrox against Rangers. But I just think Celtic are on a high 2-1 I'm going for. Just enough time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked, Wolves will finish 11 places higher than the next best of the newly promoted clubs this season in the Premier League. We already know Wolves will be 7th, Cardiff 18th and Fulham 19th. That 11-place gap is the largest since 1994-95, when which team finished 16 places higher than the next best newly promoted team? And I think you've done quite well on this one. You have, haven't you, Alan? Nottingham Forest, they came third. Palace 19th and Leicester City 21st. Yeah, what a great season that was for Forest after they were promoted. OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Henry Winter and Alan Smith. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet, which I emphasize again, is not a big piece of rock with the <laughs> Ten Commandments written on it uh, in lightning. Uh, it's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. And we will be back on Monday when, Gab, we salute the Premier League champions. Suspect we'll either be saluting City or Liverpool. <laughs> the game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.